Super Talk Mississippi media production. What if everyone was turning their head to look at you with a brand new Flowmaster exhaust system from Exhaust Pro in Macomb on Georgia Avenue? Cruise in style with Exhaust Pro of Macomb on Georgia Avenue. What is up on a Monday? I'm Brian Scott Rippey. My co-conspirator, as always, is Colin Brister. We appreciate you hanging out with us on this late Monday edition of the Rebel Report. Uh, I had to finish school, basically, all last night and today. Uh, <laughs> I had two presentations, or I guess really three, that were all due on the same day, and now I'm done, but I haven't slept in quite a while. So How did you, that- you manage that? Um, so I will, I will, I will readily admit a little bit of it was procrastination, but to be completely honest, most of it was just the way it all shook out with my classes. Like basically my, all my classes the last month would only meet like once, like if they meet twice a week, half the class would meet once and the other half would meet another because most of it's mm-hmm. group project stuff. So for whatever reason, all the groups that I was in got stuck on Monday instead of Wednesday. <laughs> um, it was less than ideal. It was, it was awful. I, uh, so you now have a master's though. Um, depending on the grades, but yes, the, uh, the general consensus is that I have a master. I've completed everything necessary to get a master's. I have one more class where I have to like turn in a paper, but other than that, I I am I am on the home stretch. It was not a fun Sunday evening, Monday morning, but but I'm <laughs> finally done. So well, you can get you can go get you a beer or two on the square now. Definitely, after I sleep for a couple hours, then there'll be more time to you know do work stuff and actually you know make this podcast a little more interesting. There's feel like there's a lot of days where we're just kind of going by the seams because different schedules and the school stuff getting away. So hopefully, hopefully more time to kind of turn this into something, something more unique. But anyway, how was your weekend other than, Oh, how was your weekend? Mine was fine other than yesterday. Uh, it was fun. It was fun. I did a little double decker stuff. Uh, do you, do you go off the square at all? Yes. Uh, so I got rewarded after, you know, an extra inning game that went through one in the morning that we complained about on Friday show with a two hour and 40 minute finale. Uh, so I got out of there at a decent time and got to see some friends. So it was nice. Yes. Yeah, so I, I went out for a bit Saturday night. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was a fun weekend in Oxford, just kind of overall. They, they do a really good job with this double decker thing. Robin Tannehill's really killed it, frankly, with, with everything that they bring in. It's, it's kind of just a fun experience. Yeah, the weather was perfect, too. I mean, like, there was, like, a little bit of drizzle late Saturday, like, afternoon slash night, but, like, it wasn't much at all. Other than that, the weather was about as good as you could possibly ask for. It's too perfect. Which isn't days. always the case. Right, not always the case. And then I always – I got corrected this weekend. I always thought it's basically always on a baseball weekend, but it's not. And no, I, it's I not always. I don't know why I don't remember that because just two years ago, I missed Double Decker because I was in Fayetteville with baseball. Yeah. So – yeah, so it worked out good for everybody involved. It was uh, I didn't go to Jason Isville. I heard it was cool. Kind of, kind of segueing here. Do you know what Ole Miss is? All right, so consensus is that that the three biggest crowds are, are Grove Bowl, graduation, and Double Decker, right? Yes, but I would okay. venture to say that was not the case this weekend because okay. not that the crowd was bad, well, but like, but, but hear Saturday me out. Hear didn't me look out. out of ordinary. Hear, hear me out just for a second. Since two thousand ten, this is absurd. Since 2010, just just guess. All right, they played 60 games. Guess Ole Miss's record in double decker graduation and uh, uh, Grove Bowl weekend since 2010 over 60 games. Just take Wait, a guess. 
Are you talking combined or which one produced the most? No, no, combined. Those three weekends, just take a guess. Over they've played sixty games in those weekends at home since two thousand ten. Take a guess at the record. Um, I don't know. I couldn't. This is too much math. I couldn't even get close. I'm trying to add like ten (laughs) thousand times sixty. No, all you have to do it's sixty games. It's it's sixty games. Just take a guess at, at what it, I mean, 40 and 20, 35 and 25. You just got to add them up and get 60. Um, I promise I'm going somewhere with this. So you're asking me to guess the attendance number? No, like, no. Ole Miss's win-loss record. Oh, oh, okay. I thought you, you were saying the crowd. You said something no, about the crowd. Okay. No, yeah, that's what I'm – it's, it's Ole Miss's three biggest crowd, and, and I'm getting somewhere with what the record is. Oh, I don't know. 40, or I'll go 35 and 25. 50 and 10. 50 and 10. Okay, that's pretty good. <laughs> 50 and 10 in these types of weekends, which is just crazy to me because when, when there's big crowds, it kind of just seems like this program uh, delivers, and, and they did this weekend. Yeah, so I, I guess we'll get right into it. I mean, we, we already obviously broke down at length on Friday's podcast, the Thursday night game, so we'll, we'll save you the boredom and, and, and skip yeah. skip all of that. But so it was interesting because they got a big win Friday or Thursday, excuse me, in a game you like you really know for no part of it thought they were going to win until it happened. Um, I guess once they tied it and got to extras, you thought there was a chance, but there really wasn't any like like missed opportunity or tangible moment. We were like, oh, they blew like they were in position and didn't. Um, so Friday they respond and really just kind of bludgeoning and from a from a like game plan perspective, if there's such a thing in baseball, it was about what you yeah. exactly asked for. I mean, they, they got Asa, Asa Lacey is a really good left-handed pitcher. They spiked his pitch count to, I believe is 108 after five innings or five and a third. So they got him out at, with one out in the six and then just destroyed A&M's bullpen, put a pair of six spots up in the sixth and seventh innings. And what it that game ended, what, 13-3, 13-2, something like that? Yeah, I think Broadway gave up a run. Uh, yeah, because Shoemaker hit a ball 800 feet. But, yeah, it was, uh, it, was, it was probably one of their better offensive performances in a while, um, considering they didn't really hit Lacey, but they grounded – they just grinded at bats. You know, Servideo has the, the surprising home run, which I don't think anybody saw coming. Um, to, to give them a 1-0 lead. But after that, they just kind of grinded out at bats. Look, Lacey's going to get his. He struck out 11 over five and a third, which is which is impressive. Um, but Ole Miss just grinded him and made him work. And you look up at, at five and a third, like you said, he's thrown 108 pitches and he can't stay in the game at that point. Um, so they go to the bullpen and, and eventually Ole Miss gets right-hander and it's just, it was World War Three. Uh, when a right hander came in and they just lit him on fire and, and Ole Miss just goes on to to kind of bludgeon A&M and get out of there not having to use their best bullpen options. Yeah, and so that kind of set up an interesting dynamic for who they were going to throw on Saturday. Of course, Ole Miss went TBA. So you had my, uh, Tyler Myers and Austin Miller available if needed, but Mike gave Gunnar Hoagland a chance and he certainly made the most of it. Gunnar goes a career-long six innings and Ole Miss wins on Saturday in walk-off fashion, kind of a strange ending to the game, but but wins to complete the sweep. And he was really kind of Hogan was really kind of the story of the game. I kind of get what, like, if in all likelihood it probably would have been Zach Phillips if he hadn't thrown 85 pitches on Tuesday in such a short turnaround. And I get like if Mike wanted one last like hope for Hogan, 
this was the ideal situation to do it because at the first sign of trouble, like you have your two best bullpen arms available, like not named crazy. So I imagine the leash was super tight, but to Hoagland's credit, other than I think a solo shot in the second inning, he didn't, there wasn't a whole lot of base path traffic and wasn't a whole lot of stressful innings. Yeah. Yeah. He was really good. And, and look, you know, I, I kind of said that I didn't think they should throw Hoagland again, and and but he kind of proved me wrong. Look, the, the kid was really, really good on Saturday. He dealt with some adversity, really, for the first time in SEC play. He got out of some situations with guys on base because that had kind of been his kryptonite is when, you know, obviously he struggled the second time through, but the, if you go beyond that, his numbers with runners on base was just horrific. And, you know, he, he battled uh, on Saturday when guys got on. He got it, got out of the uh, run, uh, runner in scoring position in the first inning. And he was he was really good. Uh, he was able to throw his breaking ball into the strike zone. Uh, obviously, he's got an elite-level changeup, and, and the fastball sits 90-91. That's good enough. And he was just really good, and, and he gave Ole Miss an opportunity where they didn't have to – the Tyler Myers didn't pitch this weekend. They, they went straight from uh, Gunnar Hoagland to, to Austin Miller. And uh, that's kind of what won them the game. Yeah, and I'll, I do wonder what the pitching situation if the pitching situation would look exactly the same if the series were one one instead of two uh, I don't think so. I think at that point, I, I don't think you can. If it's one one, you can afford to just give up Gunnar Hogland an opportunity. You know. Yeah, I kind of I'm kind of in the same thinking, but the fact that it was two to nothing, I mean. Not that they were like, I mean, they, they needed to not needed to get three, but three like Sunday or Saturday, excuse me, was an important game for them for, for a big picture perspective. So it's not like they were like mailing it in, but you feel like you have a little bit more of a cushion when you have your two best bullpen arms and you're up to two Oh, and the series, like the series is already in hand. So I would tend to agree there. So Miller and Wait, so was it just Miller that took him? I, I, I'm already no, no. Uh, he handed Miller came Miller in and seven. Yeah, yeah. So Miller and Caracy combined for three scoreless innings of relief. The game's tied in the bottom of the ninth, and then I, 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 I thought the so Dillard gets to third. Um, what it was a walk and a base hit. Yeah, what it was it, Dillard walk and Zabowski hit a ball kind of in the gap where Thomas gets to third. That's right, and that play really won him the game because it was really aggressive base running. I thought actually when he rounded third, he was going to get hosed, but he obviously read it better than than I did sitting up there, uh, which is not really saying much, but point <laughs> being, like it, the play looked like he was going to be a lot closer than he was, and that's what really won him the game because you know with one out, now that you got a guy on third, a ball in the air anywhere pretty much scores him versus second. It's a whole different game. So right. that was actually Dillard going to third. There was the play that probably won them the game. They intentionally walked Keenan. Um, Johnson. They intentionally watched Johnson. They intentionally watched Johnson. That's right. And then um, who pinch hit? Was it, oh, it was Miss no, Fitzsimmons. Fitzsimmons was already in, yeah. Okay. And then the wild pitch was strange because like it, that catcher had been good all weekend, as Dillard kind of mentioned after the game. And it was like, how did that get by him? But at first, was I a, thought it might have been a foul ball. It was. Like, that's it what was, it looked like. The catcher called curveball. You can go. You can go look how he set up and how how down he set up he down gets. in a way, and it went up and in. Yeah, he he caught curveball because if you look at it after the game, if you go back and watch the replay, he's yelling at the pitcher. So that's exactly what happened. That kid doesn't miss that ball. He throws fastball because, like you said, he's been good all weekend. And I thought it was a foul ball too. Um, I didn't hear contact though, and I was I was there, so I didn't hear any contact. I just kind of, I, I mean, there's not really something you can review because if you go back and review it, you're not going to see anything. 
Yeah, so, from uh, where we sit, I can't really see where the guy's setting up. So we didn't actually see it on replay until, and then you see him kind of squat down and away. And of course, the ball almost, not almost hit Fitzsimmons, but it was like up and in on him. And of yeah. course, like that's kind of how it ended. So, a big picture wise, that kind of changed the dynamic of the oh, team's absolutely. entire season. This was probably a weekend you're going to look back on and be like, this was. Like this was kind of, if there was a turning point for better or for worse, this was this was it. I mean, you're talking about losing two or three at Auburn, kind of letting a game, kind of letting that series get away in the sense you lose to the midweek guy, then lose a close game on Thursday, then lose a close game on Saturday. You get hammered by State late, and there's not all, like it, it's kind of a head scratcher, and then they proceed to sweep number six Texas A&M. <laughs> And now they're somehow 13 and 8 in SEC play, which is in better position than last year's team set. Now, granted, last year's team got absolutely scorching hot the last month of the season, but still, you're 13 and 8 in a game out of half well, out of first place in the SEC West, and I'm not sure exactly how. Yeah, well, you said that, but last year's team, you looked up uh, at Columbia, and they were 12 and 11. And, right. And, and so it's this team has played really well, frankly this team is better than last year's team in SEC play where this team is different is that the pitching depth didn't carry over to the midweek and that's kind of cost them in some RPI opportunities and why their RPI is at 21 and not 10 um and, and, and while frankly, they're more than likely going to have to get to 18 yeah and and they 18 will. They conference do, wins that they is. do they either have to get to 18 or they got to get to 17 and go to Hoover and make some serious serious noise um but, so that is kind of the threshold for this team that when we're talking about big picture, it, it, with the RPI the way it is, granted it went down actually a little bit more than I thought it would. What are they down to now? They're they, twenty one now. Twenty one, and so you got to get what fifteen, sixteen range really to have. Yeah, yeah, you've got to get inside. And and there's a Boyd's there Boyd's needs report says if they go five and four and they win their two non conference games, they will be top sixteen. And at that point, they would host. Well, that's what I was kind of getting at. So now it's setting up like if we went in this weekend and really any semblance of their hope, like it looked like there any semblance of them being able to host was slipping away rapidly. Like right. something drastic was going to have to happen and something drastic did happen. They swept A&M <laughs> with two left, you know, beat two left-handed pitchers. Really good left-handed pitchers. Yeah, two. I mean, well, I mean, you're looking at it. We pointed this out on Friday show, but like their last two SEC wins going into that game were against. Uh, Tanner Doxakis Burns and, and John Doxakis, and then you add Asa Lacey to the mix. It's just been everyone else that's kind of given them trouble. The elite level, and I mentioned um, they weren't terrible against Zach Thompson either. Just, I mean, seven inning game, they got him out in the sixth or whatever. It and was. they win that game if it goes nine. Yeah, more than likely because Kentucky's bullpen was 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 flimsy to say the least. But the point being is now that you're looking at, you have three weekends to win five games, and. Yeah. However you want to slice that up, I mean, that's winning a home series and then... It's winning two series and losing one. I mean, that, that, that's really what it is. Yeah, no, no, it, it definitely is. I mean, obviously, there's there's some give and take there. You, you really can't afford to get swept. Right. And then a sweep would obviously give you some breathing room. I don't know where that sweep really comes, though, given that you they've wanna, got it, two it, road okay. series and, and if Tennessee. You, if, if I made you say, hey, this team's going to sweep one, what which one do you pick? Tennessee or LSU because I'm not picking yep. them to sweep state. I think it's LSU because I think Tennessee throws too many left. And I know Ole Miss just beat two lefties. LSU doesn't have a lefty on the roster. I, I, yeah, so they're going down there. 
next weekend. And if they're every year to erase the, you know, they haven't won down there since 1983 streak, it's this year. This is as good as an opportunity as they're going to have. I mean, obviously, you don't really know the future, but like this is, I guess to put it in past tense, this is as good as an opportunity as they've had in a long, long time. And yeah. they never get swept down there. They just always lose two out of three. Right. And and frankly, it's because LSU is better than them almost every year that they go down there. I mean, that yeah, Sands 2009, maybe, and 2000, 2005, 2007, 2009, those, those teams are probably pretty equal. Um, but other than that, LSU is just better than they are every time they go down there, and that's why they don't win the series because LSU is better. Um, so th- they were close, really... honestly, I thought a little bit in 17, too. Because yeah, they were. 17, you had – it, the Ole Miss got killed in the Friday night game, respond or Thursday night game, I guess that was responded yeah. pretty well in the Friday game and won. And then you had a really fun pitching matchup in Ryan uh, Rollison and Eric Walker as both freshmen that year. And LSU, like Tate Blackman, went nuts that series and hit like three home runs, I think. But yeah. LSU kind of nudged them late in the uh, in the Sunday two, game. If I remember, right. yeah, and that, it was a close game. That was a fun series. I that was my first trip down to Alex Box working, and it was a uh, it was a fun series. So yeah, you going I mean, this year. Yeah, so I'll be down there. We'll have coverage at supertalk.fm. I will be down there for all three games. Um, so you will probably podcast, obviously more than likely podcast from there Friday, I guess. Is that is this a Friday, Saturday, Sunday? I yeah, it's to get Friday on that. It's like Sunday. three days, three days away. Yeah. Um, yeah, so so I'll be down there when the game starts. I'll put it that way. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, so, I mean, if there's every year for them to do it, and then really if they're able to kind of reverse the trend and get to then they're really looking at a a I mean not a slam dunk but like they're they're closing in on hosting. Well, you're talking I mean, about taking care of business against either state or Tennessee and not getting swept by either. That's kind of where I was going to go with the with me saying they're 50 and 10 in those weekends. They haven't lost a, a series uh, like that since 2013. I think they win the Mississippi State series frankly because they just play really well at home. Um, uh, you know, they lost the Kentucky series. I get that. But in these type series, Ole Miss just kind of wins it. So if you're going to give them a, win, a winning series against State, because State's not great on the road, I think that you just have to win one of these Tennessee or LSU series. And, and that puts you at 18 and 12, and you're going to Hoover playing either for, you know, playing with house money, knowing that you're probably locked up a host, or you're playing to get a national seed if you're 18 and 12 in Hoover. Sure, but the kind of not the thing that we've not glossed over, but I've said it a couple times this year, they're prone to throw a very random stinker and they can't have <laughs> that come up again in the last stretch. They can't I mean they can't sure. afford it. You know what I mean? Like and I say that and like I'm not even really just talking one game, but like if you like, you know, blow a game at LSU and then you know they're better than you in one of them and you come back losing two or three, and then you're not in as great a position. You no, but it's not a death season. sentence either if you lose two of three. You can't no, get swept. it's not. But do you want it like, like preferably in, for their case, you win the next two because I, like, do they really want to go to Knoxville the last weekend needing when they're to win fighting two. for their life? It's not a de- like you mentioned that wouldn't be a death sentence either. But that's probably the least ideal scenario is to go there needing to with the way Tennessee pitches it. I mean, I it's certainly possible, and they could do it. But like, I would I, like if I were Mike Bianco, I would not want that on the line right. because I hate to say it and bring it up, but like. When things get tight, things don't always go well. <laughs> well, and, and I mean, frankly, if you're going to Tennessee at the end of the year, Tennessee's going to be playing for their postseason life, unlike normal. I mean, Tennessee's 9-12. and 12. They've got to win six of their final nine games to, to get an NCAA bid. Um, so, I mean, do you, you really want to go to Knoxville and play a team that's fighting for their postseason lives? I don't really think so. 
having to win too. Yeah, so they're back at it on Tuesday against Southern Miss Tuesday. in Hattiesburg. Is there, I guess it's Wednesday. Yeah, it's yeah. a Wednesday, Friday. Back at it against Southern Miss and Hattiesburg. I will not be at Pete Taylor Park for that one. Um, they need to win that. Yeah, they do need to win that. They need to win that, and they need to win in Jonesboro uh, to finish out the, the non-conference year. Um, who pitches Wednesday? Phillips. I mean, if, if you got to win it, it's your 30-best guy out there, and that's Phillips right now. Yeah, I mean, I guess Hoagland's kind of, at least for a week or two, cause the Sunday gig is kind of his right. again. Well, I mean, you're going to throw him on Sunday, this Sunday. So, I mean, you throw Phillips, and then if there's not a midweek game in between LSU and, and State because of finals. So, if you want to go back to Phillips on the weekend after the uh, Hoagland pitches at LSU, you can, you can do that. Yeah, that's a good point. So, I mean, it's it was a season-changing weekend for them. They're, they're, the outlook on the season is dramatically different than it was, say, four days ago, which is yeah. which is kind of the story of this team in a lot of ways. Um and Dillard kind of got cranked up from the right side, had a few hits, which has yeah. been kind of a struggle for him. So they had some good things happen for him. Um, obviously, that was far from the only thing that happened over the weekend. We had the NFL draft. Yeah. Um, obviously, that was during the baseball games. During I, I tried to follow it as best I could because I had to post stories every time someone from Ole Miss got drafted. Um, I didn't have Greg Little pinned as the first Ole Miss player off the board. I'm just <laughs> going to go ahead and put my hand up and admit that. Um, but – that's what happened. So the Panthers trade up 10 spots from 47 to 37 to kind of bolster their offensive line. And I think they got a good a good pick. I think Little's going to do well in the NFL. I do too. I just think it may take a little time. Yeah, I would agree with that. And, like, he's an interesting kid because, like, he's – like, I don't want to say like, – like, I don't want this to sound like he doesn't, like, care about football, but he's not, like, the, the – the like prototypical football robotic guy. Like he's got yeah. some personality, and like I would presume he has some some other interests outside football. Not that that's a bad thing at all, but like I, that may have worked against him in interviews a little bit, which is 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 kind of a knock on the NFL to be completely honest. Because like I mean, the kid seems like a good dude, has a lot of personality, but like, he's not going to give you the robotic answer like a lot of like a lot of these guys are. So that may have knocked him a little bit, but he's a good prospect. He's an early second round pick. And I think that's a good fit for him. Yeah, I, I do too. And, uh, you know, he always, it was kind of always unfair to me because he came in after the best left tackle ever in Ole Miss history. And he always got compared to him and no, he wasn't Laramie Tunzel, but Greg Little was really, really good for Ole Miss. Yeah, he wasn't. He missed, he never missed a game. Right. He started, started all 12 games all three years in, like, I mean, the classic NFL cliche, the best abilities, availability. But, yeah, he was – he was, and this might be a little bit of an indictment on, on his his former head coach, but he was well, we've kind never of, done that. We've never done that here. He's <laughs> He was kind of propped up as the next Laramie Tunsil, and, like, there really just isn't, like, a next Laramie Tunsil always ready to go. <laughs> the kid was a great player in his own right, but, like, Laramie Tunsil is Laramie Tunsil. Laramie Tunsil almost made a Pro Bowl as a rookie playing guard. <laughs> He's the best the offensive lineman in Ole Miss history. I mean, yeah. yeah. I mean, so then, then you had AJ Brown get off the board to the Titans, and I'm not just saying this as a Titans fan. I really like the fit because I think he's only going to play the slot there, and I think he is going to fit well with Mariota. Titans need some playmakers, don't they? They didn't they seem do. like look. Yeah, I didn't. I watched a few Titans game last year. Look, I'm no, I'm by far, uh, I'm I'm no NFL expert by any means, but it seemed like the Titans just didn't have dudes that could go make plays, and and AJ can make plays. There was no depth, and when they lost Delaney Walker to injury, they were just kind of 
in trouble. And like yeah. they tried to beef it up in the offseason last year. Like they got they signed Eric Decker. They did some other moves, but that that's definitely going to help them immensely. I think that's a good fit. Um, it was good to see them go off the board. And then of course, finally at the very end of the second round, DK Metcalf, who was kind of the slot, he and Greedy Williams were kind of the slide of the draft. Um, yeah, we're taken. And then obviously the video comes out and the DK was very emotional. Like, dude, that's what you never, I mean, that's what you never really sit down and think about though. Like how traumatizing would that be for Man. you as a, as a 20 year old kid and you're, you know, you received a first round grade, you're thinking worst case scenario, if you get stubbed from the first round, you're getting called two to three names on the second day. I mean, he goes to the draft, doesn't get picked and then waits to the end of the second round to get picked. I mean, I, watching that, I would lose my mind because <laughs> it's just like a slow bleed out. Like it, yeah. it, it's 10, 15 minutes it's, or whatever per pick. Like you don't know it's coming. You got teams calling you saying, you know, we might take you. We might not. I, I just, the, the amount of stress and pressure I think kind of came out in, in that video, but it was a cool video the Seahawks yeah. put out. It was, it was, I'm sure he was wondering, did, did people forget I exist? Like, cause, cause I didn't, in no world did I expect him to last that long, but I actually think that's a really good fit um, with the way Wilson plays one of the best deep ball passers yeah, in the deep, games. Deep balls yeah. on the run improvising. I think that's a great fit too, but I think that was kind of the knock on Metcalf was one, the injuries and two, the lateral quickness. I mean, that's, yeah. that's really what, what hindered him. And I think, Team well, maybe were three, not having a not having a route tree in college because he yeah, ran go routes. That 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 didn't help him at all, and I think the the medical aspect was a little bit undersold because we were talking about this at the baseball game, I guess, on Friday night. Like, I, I think they did a nice job of like downplaying it as saying the neck injury wasn't that serious because he kind of made a quicker he broke recovery. His neck. Like he broke his neck. Yeah, like the, <laughs> no really need to mince words. Like he broke his neck, and like it was a serious injury, and so I think. That probably scared some teams off a little bit as well. I didn't think he like. I wasn't always sold that he was going to be a first round pick because of that. But I, I, I'm, I'm not going to sit here and tell you I thought he would, you know, slip to the 64th pick or whatever it was. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Then you know, happy for him. He's a good guy. And, uh, yeah, I think it's a really good fit. I think he's going to walk in there and play immediately, and and he's going to. I think he could be a nightmare at, at full strength for the NFL. Yeah, I would tend to agree with that. I, I think he could. It'd be interesting. Like, how does he develop? Like, you know, does he kind of expand from being a, a one trick pony and kind of being a deep ball guy? How do they use him? I would be interested to see um, Dawson Knox, what goes third round to the Bills. This was when post game started on Friday night. I kind of got lost in the shuffle. So yep. he was third round. Right. Um, Decent fit. I think that kid's got a chance to be a really good NFL tight end because of his just freak. ridiculous athleticism. And then, like, I mean, he was criminally under. We've been over this before. He was criminally underused in Ole Miss's offense. Like he's an athletic freak. I think he's going to be a really good fit there. Uh, this is kind of wasn't funny because it was kind of making fun of a college kid. But uh, Jordan Tamu, after uh, Knox got tweeted, like quote tweeted something. It was like, "I see you at Dawson Knox," and somebody on Twitter was like, "Well, it's about time you see him." Um, but no, it, he was criminally underused at Ole Miss, and uh, he's, he's really a good story. Goes from walk on to uh, to be a third round NFL pick uh, in three years. So uh, yeah, I mean, I think that's probably probably one of the best stories, frankly, from this draft. Considering you know he no scholarship offers out of high school, and in three years he leaves early to go pro. Um, so yeah, he, you know, it was really cool for him to, to get, get picked there in the third round. And I'm sure, you know, you don't draft people in the third round for them to not contribute. I'm sure the bills will ask him to play next year.
Yeah, I would agree with that. And then I guess to come, I, I was a little surprised that uh, Demarcus Lodge was not drafted. Yeah, that was. And once you get past like the third or fourth round, like honestly, from a player standpoint, since the money's all basically the same, it's probably better to be. I don't want to say better. It's sometimes a more flexible option to be a, to be an undrafted free agent because you actually kind of, in some ways, get to have some control over what team right. it is. Um, but yeah, I, honestly, I thought he was going to get drafted. Yeah, I did too. I did too. I mean, and I think he plays in the NFL. Frankly, I don't. He was he was too good at Ole Miss to not play football in the NFL. Um, so yeah, I, I, I think that was the biggest shocker. I thought Tamu would get selected late, but like you said, it doesn't really matter after about the fifth round. Yeah, and then they had they had a couple other late selections. You had uh, Javon Patterson got drafted. To the Colts, uh, yeah, yeah, in the well, that was a sixth round pick, I believe. Yeah. Um, so good for him. I, are we missing anyone else? I had trouble keeping up with all of it. Oof. I think that's it, but don't quote me on it. I think that's uh, the three second rounders, Dawson, Javon. Oh, Ken Webster got picked. That's right. Somebody. That's right. <laughs> he got picked late. And so Lodge get assigned with the Bucks shortly after. Sure. Um, I, yeah, I don't really know what to make of that. Like, I don't know. I think Lodge makes an NFL roster. I do. I'm not sure if it's in Tampa, though. I just, I, I don't. Like, that seemed like an interesting fit. I don't really know what Tampa's trying to do. Like, I don't know what their quarterback situation is going to be in a year. But I think Lodge ends up on an NFL roster next fall somewhere. Yeah, I do too. Like you said, it might not be with Tampa, but, you know, those guys get chances all over the place. And I feel like he'll his athleticism will take over. He'll be on an NFL roster next year for sure. Or at least a practice squad. Yeah, there was really nothing else that kind of stood out for me in the draft. I mean, Gritty Williams sliding as far as he did was kind of surprising. Um, Rosen gets traded to the Dolphins. And just read that right. All they got for him was a second-round pick, all the yep. Cardinals did. Yep, that was that was good stuff. But you knew that was going to happen. When we talked about that <laughs> happening before it happened, somebody was going to get a franchise-level quarterback or at least a franchise-level prospect for the probably one of the cheapest there's ever been. Because like, they had no leverage. Right, and I was saying on radio the other day that like this might end up being one of like the greater like steals of all time if the kid turns out to be good because you you he was a top ten pick and you got him for literally nothing. <laughs> and uh, I think he I think the kid is good. Um, you know, he's had six different coordinators. Look, literally, if you go back to his high school, he's had five different coordinators in five separate years. I mean, that's that's not easy on anybody. So I think if he settles into a system, he's a kid or a player that can that can be a franchise quarterback for Miami. Yeah, and he had one of the worst offensive lines statistically ever. Like, you can't really gauge much from his rookie year. And he was the most complete quarterback um, really in that draft. And, and he would have – he graded high – like, the I was listening to McShay and Kuyper's podcast. Um, I guess it was right before, but he, he would have graded higher than any of the quarterbacks that were in this draft. So it doesn't – like, I just don't know what – I get – I get the Cardinals had no leverage, but I guess I'm I'm just curious. It's confusing to me because I'm curious if I'm missing anything other than that. Like it seems like you could get more than that for a player like that, but I guess not. Yeah, I mean you can't keep them on the roster, so I mean whatever folks are willing to give you, I guess is what you take. Yeah, and so, and then the, you had the second round of the playoff start. Um, Boston beat Milwaukee like a drum. Yeah, that's going to be interesting because you wonder if the Celtics have kind of figured it out. I don't ever take a ton from a game one because it's two teams really kind of trying to fill each other out, but they dominated them. Well, Giannis um, played that bad is worrisome. Well, Al, For Al Horford kind of made them look human like they defended him very well. I always wonder because 
Giannis made like he made. I think he was three of five from the three point line, which is way better than he usually has. He missed a lot of con- like contested shots that he usually makes in terms of like getting to the rim. But I wonder how much of that is the way they defended him in the game plan they had. Because if that's anywhere close to what they do for him the rest of the series, Milwaukee's probably done. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's not a lot you can do. Uh, you know, when they send. I mean, he kind of talked in his post game presser. Right? He's just got to make the right pass and. I mean, I don't know if that's a recipe for success for Milwaukee is him passing the basketball. Yeah. And so then you had uh, Toronto beat Philly. I still think that's going to go six or seven. That's going to be a fantastic series. Toronto True. played well. Embiid not necessarily played well. That uh, That's still going to go deep, but great. Toronto kind of held serve there. I'll be honest, I didn't get to watch very much of that game. I watched some of the Rockets uh, – Warriors game yesterday. That was probably the game I was locked into the most because I had stuff going on in the morning. I kind of took a like a, a school break in the afternoon to watch some of that. Um, the Rockets got to go win one in that building, like like one of these two. Like I don't think they can go back to Houston down two zero. And so you think if they don't win this one, they're done? I don't know about done, but I just I, I don't because you're don't losing know. one in Houston. I think. Yeah, so I think they're going to have to win two series, I mean, two games in that building to win the series anyway. So if you don't win game two, you're banking on winning game five and presumably a game seven. I probably don't like those odds. Not that yeah. they're on the surface any different, but like the stages of the game's different. Um, but that game was close and that game was competitive, and neither team played well. That was they a didn't. very poorly played game by both teams. And it was a they're- poorly officiated game as well. Yeah, so there was all that talk about the Harden stuff and like what's his landing circle. And of course, with every kind of internet argument or conversation, there's no nuance to anything. And so everyone's like, oh, that's not a foul. That is a foul. Then walking under him. Some of them were fouls. Some of the time, Kevin Durant and Draymond Green walked up under Harden and walked up under Paul. And you can't do that. And the rule is in place because of what Zaza Pachulia did with Kawhi playing them in the Western Conference Finals a couple years ago. You have to let the guy land. But then there's other times where Harden jumps out five feet and either sticks a leg or a hip out trying to draw the foul there. And like it feels like the way the NBA games are officiated now, it's more of players trying to trick referees than actually just playing (laughs) and playing through the letter of the rule. And I'm not – I love the NBA. I'm not like – like I guess hating on it in that sense. But like they're like – I. Well, I just read so many people like screaming at each other about whether it's like a foul or those weren't a foul. And there's nuance to it. I think a lot of them were fouls and some of them were Harden and Paul flopping. <laughs> I mean, which is kind of just their game. But I was just talking about the end there. Uh, that that was a foul. Um, it kind of at the end where, where Paul gets ejected. No, the last one was. The last one was. I'll, I will yeah. concede that. Yeah, and and you you tee up Paul and throw him out of the game there. And it was already a ridiculous tech on Paul earlier in the game. Um, and trust me, I am no Chris Paul fan. But, he must yeah. have said something pretty rough. Like he, he must have dropped like an MF or two or three times or something pretty grotesque. Because like yeah. he did, like to your point, he didn't do a whole lot. Although he did kind of bump him, and that makes oh, you wonder. He? I don't think the NFL is actually taking I, the NBA is going to suspend Chris Paul. But technically, if you intentionally bump or make contact with an official, that's uh, supposed to be a suspension. But I, you know, that's probably not happening. But that may have been it. It may have been because he bumped him. Is it is it just speaking about a, uh, suspensions? Isn't Draymond one tech away from a suspension? I would have to look that up. I do not have that immediately in front. If he of is, me. he's um, getting suspended a game. Yeah, more than likely. I mean, it'd be like the sixteen finals again, <laughs> where he couldn't kick, uh, quit kicking people in the nuts. 
Yeah, I mean, they're going for a, I mean, in all likelihood, they're going for a five-peat if he doesn't get, like, if he if he doesn't get, you know, ejected and have to miss game six or whatever. A five-peat in the NBA, that's obscene. Well, I mean, it's the most, it's the most talent ever assembled on a team ever. I mean, they were a 70th win, 73-win team and added the second-best player in the world the year after. <laughs> the 73-win team is the one that didn't win it, and I think that might be the best basketball team ever. Yeah, they were unbelievable, and that's what's kind of making me look forward to after the fact when Kevin Durant presumably leaves and a little bit of balance of power is restored because the Warriors aren't going anywhere, and how they reinvent themselves will be interesting to watch. So I I don't know after – so obviously Denver and and Portland, I believe, starts tonight, but I guess I'll go Golden State and Portland in the Western Conference Finals, and then I can't believe I'm saying this, but I think I'm going to go Boston and Toronto in the East. I think I am too. I think I'm with you. Which I stinks because I want I want it to be Milwaukee. Like I want it to be Giannis just to like see something different. I kind of want to see Giannis take over the NBA, but I just don't see it. Like I, I know there was only one game yesterday, but I mean they've already down one game there. Like if if Stevens and like Brad Stevens and Horford and that whole group are kind of able to formulate a game plan to make him look like even remotely close to as human as he was the other night, I don't think Milwaukee has a chance. Yeah, I don't know what else they do. Um yeah, so I'm I'm with you. I think I think Boston, as much as it pains me to say this, I think Boston is I think Boston might win the East at this point, honestly. Yeah, and it makes sense because they, I mean, if you looked at it top to bottom on paper, and I know Philly made some trades early in the season that kind of skewed things, but they were always the most talented team on paper. It was kind of mystifying how they never figured it out, and it's kind of looking like they are. Like I think maybe having not having Marcus Smart is helping them a little bit because they're trimming down the rotation and kind of playing guys the right number of minutes. But it looks like they've kind of figured it out. I don't think that series is over yet, but Milwaukee's going to have to do something drastically different. Yeah, yeah, no, I'm with you. Because uh, the Celtics been, are going to have to win another game in that building to win the series, I think. More They're not going to hold yeah. serve home court. More than likely not, no. Um, so, yeah, it, 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 Milwaukee's going to have some have a day to game plan for what they just saw, but uh, I don't know what else they can do. Um, it kind of just feels like it's a strategical advantage Boston has. So we'll find out. Um, how's the NHL looking? How are how, how are our teams uh, that, that we so uh, actively follow doing? How are they doing? Uh, so the Islanders lost the first two games oh, at man. home to the Carolina Hurricanes, which that doesn't seem like a very good strategy. Um, <laughs> so I was actually reading about this. So the Islanders obviously play on Long Island, but they have something in their contract so that the, the the stadium on Long Island is like the Nassau Center, but they have to play X amount of games in the Barclays Center in Brooklyn. So they moved to Brooklyn for the second round series, and they've been terrible. <laughs> I feel like I wouldn't have done that. That's the most like, hockey thing of all time, which I don't understand that. You have a team having to go back and forth from arenas if, like for each round of the playoffs. That makes no sense. No, that doesn't make sense. I see my Blue Jackets are tied one-to-one. We lost in overtime the other night. Um, we'll be fine. We'll be fine. I think we win the series. I think the, I think the Islanders are probably done. They, they, <laughs> they should never have moved out of the, the, their, their yeah, own you home. Yeah, can't, you can't. You know, just make bad juju like that. That's not a good idea. You just take the fine or whatever it is, I guess. that That's just, you can't do that. Yeah, I mean, hockey's a sport where they don't shave their face for the entirety out of superstition, and you're going to change buildings? <laughs> like, I, 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 that seems like a fairly drastic move. It's just like, yeah, we're going to, I mean, I, I get it. So I was reading about it, and I couldn't remember exactly what it is, but it's a contractual thing. Because I think like the, the overall idea is they're trying to expand their brand, obviously, beyond, beyond Long Island. Right. And they've had some stadium issues in the past, so they've played in Brooklyn some in the past. But like, I feel like for the playoffs, you got to pick one place. 
Yeah, I don't, I don't, you can't be switching venues during the playoffs, man. Yeah, and then so I didn't see this the other night, but the 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 Golden Knights apparently just got nuts and bolts. We got screwed. Yeah, um, that's what that's what I hear. Uh, again, not a hockey <laughs> person, very, but I hear we, very, they got screwed. Very amateur hockey talk. Apparently, there was some kind of major penalty that wasn't supposed to happen that allowed the didn't uh, the NHL apologize. They apologize, and that officiating crew, I believe, is not working another playoff series. But the San Jose Sharks, because of it, apparently scored three goals in like six minutes. Um, <laughs> so to 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 tie it and then eventually take the lead, that seems pretty wild. Um, yeah, so hopefully I'll get back geared in with a couple days off back into these NHL and NBA playoffs. Because that's one of those things now where, like, with Ole Miss being in, like, the heat of baseball season, it's like – Monday through Wednesday or Thursday night, like that's kind of what I'm locked into. And then these weekend games are so much harder to see, so I just completely <laughs> like get lost. Yeah, 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 for sure. Um, but yeah, at least it's a Friday, Saturday, Sunday series this week instead of the weird Thursday through Saturday nonsense. Yeah, I don't mind the Thursday through Saturdays, particularly when they're in Oxford, because I always like obviously having a Sunday off is nice. But if they're on the road and I'm there, I don't, I don't. Yeah, I don't because really you're you're going home on Sunday, right? Yeah, so it doesn't doesn't. Doesn't really matter. I mean, that drive to Baton Rouge on Sunday night kind of stinks, but I'm from Baton Rouge to Oxford. But other than that, it is. Uh, oh, that's a. It, that, they play kind of late Sunday too. I think they play at like three o'clock. Oh, lovely. Uh, <laughs> You'll be getting <laughs> out of Baton Rouge about seven thirty. Hey, luckily I'm done with school though. There'll be no class to get back to. I'll just be prepping for graduation that I'm not walking at. <laughs> You're not walking at graduation. Nope. I told Did him to send that thing this? in the mail. Uh, well, it was one of those deals where I just let the deadline pass, and then my mom was like, are you walking? And I was like, oh, the deadline's gone. Shucks. <laughs> so, uh, so I bet they're I, excited about that. Well, I, so I, I, was, I was wondering when they were going to bring it up, and my mom asked me actually when I was in Jackson for the state game last week, and she didn't seem too upset. She's like, they seem relieved to not have to do the whole – because, you know, graduation's a hassle. Like, it's a oh, cool it's thing, a but it's a hassle too. So I think I think it saved them some trouble too. I mean, I did it once. Like, I, do I really need to sit through another commencement and walk across they got the stage their again? Just, the first time, right? Yeah, just send me that thing in the mail. Like, and we'll we'll call it we'll call it even. I don't I don't need to go walk across and, and pick up because the diploma's not even in there. When you walk across, it's just an empty no. an empty hold. I don't need that. I already have one. Yeah. I don't even think I use the one I have. I'm pretty sure my I graduation. I just sat back there on my phone and watched Ole Miss in Kentucky play baseball and was ready to go. That was, yeah, that was so. My- I might bring my old, uh, my old, uh, my old diploma casing to Swayze and just have like Mike Bianco maybe give it to me when I walk across the outfield. You think he'd be up to that? <laughs> he might sign it too. He could sign it. You yeah, know, he, he was uh, he was on Chatty Cathy this weekend. I I'm you, sure I he was on Friday. I, yeah, it had nothing to do with them winning thirteen to two, but. I asked I would grade a C plus question, and he gave me this really elaborate answer and kind of gave me like a nod afterward, and I was like, okay. I see. You. I saw. I saw one of the uh, the videos. It seemed like somebody asked something that got cut out, and you could see Mike was laughing before the interview even started. Uh, yeah. I mean, uh, so he he smiled and laughed like a like a like a human. Um, <laughs> before the Friday after the Friday game, uh, Chase made some comment about Parrish always cutting people off like jokingly, and then he was like, "Go ahead, Parrish, since you're going to cut me off anyway." And Mike thought that was funny, but obviously easier to be in a good mood when you won 13 to three or 13 to two or whatever, whatever that final <laughs> score was on Friday. It's irrelevant. It's a win. So we'll be back at, I don't really have much else for today. Um, this, this podcast, I will, I will say this podcast going forward, we will be a lot more organized and back on schedule. I'm finally done with the school thing. That's really been <laughs> kind of throwing a wrench in all of this. We'll have more time to kind of get better guests 
and make this thing more creative. I'm excited about it. I have some ideas. It's just ideas that I haven't been really had time to execute. Um, so hopefully going forward, we'll kind of take this thing off the ground. Um, I've enjoyed it. I'm looking forward to it. We appreciate you listening so far, Colin, if you, unless you got anything else, I'm, uh, I think we'll be back at it Wednesday. Yep. Sounds good. Um, all right. Sounds good for Brian Scott Rippey. That is Colin Brister. We appreciate you listening to this Monday edition of the Rebel Report and join us again Wednesday. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.